And this evening in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll get to that scripture in a little bit, but uh, I want to talk about depression. Um, this is uh, something that uh, a lot of people go through, and yet most people don't want to talk about it. And uh, a professor was in a psychiatric class one time, and, and he said, uh, what we're going to be talking about today is emotional extremes that many people uh, many mentally disturbed people go through. For example, what's the opposite of joy? One student spoke up and said sadness. <clears throat> what's the opposite of depression? Another student spoke up and said elation. He turned to a guy, from, a young man from Texas, and he what, said, what is the opposite of woe? And he said, giddy up. <laughs> <clears throat> well, uh, the Frank Menrith and and uh, Paul Meyer used to be on the radio. And the fact is, I think they, I believe they used to be on television. And they are psychiatrists come in, coming from Dallas, Texas. And uh, they said that uh, a majority of Americans suffer from a serious clinical depression at some time in their lives. And most of these never get help. Never get help. A meeting was held in a church and they were going to be praying for the needs of the people. Anybody that came, they would be praying for their needs or needs of someone else that they knew about. And uh, they, they had uh, just trickled down the, down the aisle to begin with. And then it wasn't long to let streams of people. And they found out from talking to the people that 90% that, uh, of those people came not for physical needs, but depression. Depression is not something that's uh, not seen, it's around. The fact is, uh, <clears throat> it's reported that 50,000 people visit clinics each week for therapy, and 37,500 of those people are depressed. So I want us to see a Bible picture of depression and what God does about it. Um, I want you to see the whole picture. We're going to be in chapters 18 and 19 of 1 Kings, uh, but I've got 19 down. But uh, Ahab was the king of Israel. He is a very wicked king. He was a guy that uh, he uh, married Jezebel at if you know anything about Jezebel, you know he must have been a wicked guy or he'd never married her to begin with. And uh, she was, her father was Ethbaal, A-T-H-B-A-L-L-B-A-A-L rather. And their marriage was a political marriage. The only reason they got married was just for political reasons. Number one, uh, uh, her father was a king of Tyre. And uh, so uh, they wanted trade routes. And also, uh, both of them wanted those trade routes, both the kings of Israel, uh, Ahab, and the king of Tyre. And also, they wanted protection from each other to take care of anybody on the outside. Uh, that would come in and try to take over either one of the kingdoms. And so it was a wicked kingdom, 
And uh, the first encounter that Elijah had with Ahab is found in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, chapter 18, verse 1. And uh, Ahab didn't know him, and he didn't really know Ahab as far as I know. There's no mention that he did. But the first time he came before him, he said, Ahab, it's not going to rain for three years. It had already been six months. So he said, it's not going to rain for three years. Well, Ahab didn't pay any attention to it because he didn't believe it. Why would he want to believe him? Never seen him before. Didn't know who he was. Didn't know anything about him. So he didn't believe him. And so Elijah, Elijah just got out of the picture then. Didn't see him anymore. Until the end of the three years. And then Elijah showed up again. And when Ahab saw him, he said, Art thou he who troubleth Israel? And uh, Elijah said, No, I'm not the one. said, It's you and your fathers, because you turned from the living God to worship Baal. And uh, so they, uh, Elijah came up with a contest. And uh, by the way, there's something somebody taught me one time years ago that I've never forgotten. Um, I lost something in it before I did remember it. And that is don't ever bet on somebody else's trick. Because they, they know what they're doing. I, I remember one time this guy told me, he said, I'll, if you'll buy me a Coke, I'll bet you the price of that Coke that I can drink it and never take the cap off the bottle. And I thought, well, <laughs> no way. Oh, you're going to punch a hole in the, no, no, not going to do that. Said, I'm not going to take the cap off the bottle. So I thought, well, it's worth Coke to learn what he's talking about. And so he, he took a bottle opener because then you had to snap it off. And uh, did not doing what I'm doing. I'm screwing it off. And he took the bottle opener and he took the cap and slid it down on the side of the bottle and drank it. He never took the cap off the bottle. I paid for the coat. Well, Elijah has made a he has he has made a, a contest. Won't have a contest, and so. He said, um, bring all your prophets of Baal and, uh, and the other 400 prophets, bring them and let's have a contest. And, and uh, yeah, I thought that's a good idea because that's 850 against one. So they met on Mount Carmel and uh, Elijah, he said, uh, let them, talking about the prophets of Baal, bring us to, to um uh, offerings to yearlings to uh, bulls and, and we'll offer them and uh, so of course they were supplied and uh, he told he said now when we got up there though he said now the one that answers by fire let him be God and people didn't say anything nobody said anything they didn't agree with it didn't say they'd do it but uh, so uh, Elijah, let them go first. 
And they prayed until the evening sacrifice. And Elijah said, that's enough. They prayed, they cut themselves, and Elijah, he made fun of them. He said, well, your God's going on a journey, or he's asleep, or uh, whatever. And uh, so finally came his time, and he cut the bullock up, and uh, he built the, built the altar, put the wood in place, cut the bullock up and laid it in order and called for 12 barrels of water. Now you can imagine how that would have set with those people because they, they didn't have any water anyway. And uh, he called for 12 barrels of water to be poured on that. What in the world does he mean? No doubt somebody was asking that. And so he prayed. He wanted to make sure that they didn't think there's any wildfire in there. And he prayed and asked the Lord to answer by fire. The Lord consumed that offering. He consumed the altar. And the Bible says he licked up the water. And then he, uh, Elijah took those uh, 400 prophets of Baal and cut their throats, put them over the side. I'm pretty sure he's pretty tired after that. And, uh, and then it started raining. And he said, I hear the abundance of rain. And all they saw was one little old cloud about like a man's hand. And somebody said it, was, it had five points on, which is uh, uh, the number of grace. Whether well, that's true or not, I don't know. But anyway, he said it's about like a man's hand. And it wasn't long, though, until the rains came. But all the prophets of Baal were dead. And Ahab ran home and told Jezebel. And Jezebel said that that prophet is going to be dead tomorrow just like one of my prophets are. They're going to, he's going to be gone. Elijah heard about it. He took off running as hard as he could go. And he ran and he ran and he ran. And uh, I think we would have done the same thing. And he ran until he came to a juniper tree. Now, look where the Lord found Elijah. The word found is the one you want. In, uh, in verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Well, who said he was? <laughs> I mean, nobody's ever said he was better than his father's, but he said, Just take away my life. Elijah was afraid. Look at verse 3. And when he saw that he arose, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servants there. So Elijah wanted to die in verse 4. And uh, he was very tired, and so he laid down under the juniper tree. The contest was supposed to solve all of his problems, get rid of all the prophets of Baal, and it'd solve all of his problems. No, it just made the problems worse in one way. 
because Jezebel got into the, into the situation. And since God heard Elijah's prayer and answered it and sent rain, why didn't he pray again? Because he's so much like us. We'd done the same thing. We'd took off running. I'll guarantee there wouldn't have been room under the juniper tree if we'd have been told what he is told. We'd have beat him there. But he made it. And uh, he, he got there. And uh, the Bible tells us that uh, he laid down under that tree. Now, depression is not necessarily lack of faith. It's certainly not uh, a memor because of, a, of an immoral life. Um, God found Elijah under the juniper tree depressed. But uh, God didn't leave him there. He didn't leave him there. Uh, thankfully, God didn't say, well, Elijah, you have a chemical imbalance and... Uh, uh, Plaxo has not been invented yet, so there's not anything I can do for you. Uh, no, the fact is, uh, long before psychiatry was ever thought of, long before healing could be brought in, in a little bottle, bought in a little bottle, long before God heard Elijah, uh, healed Elijah of depression, uh, God did for Elijah that which he can do for us if we'll let him. So God recognized Elijah's depression was real. It was real. In answer to Elijah's prayer to die, God said, uh, snap out of it, Elijah. No, he didn't say that. He, he let him sleep. Because he knew that he was very tired. He sent an angel to feed him. And then Elijah sleeps some more. And then God sent him on a journey for a 40 day and night R and R. And then God hadn't said a word yet to Elijah. He has not said one word to him. He didn't even offer any counsel. He didn't sit down by him and talk. Uh, all, all of that time, Elijah's left alone, and he was given time to rest and to think. I read about a grandmother whose grandson was burned very badly and died, and they called and told her she was at home by herself. And as a result of it, she was... Um, uh, when her husband came home, she was in shock, disoriented. And uh, he didn't, didn't offer any counsel at that time and didn't do anything in that way. He called his son. His son came, and he sat down by his mom, and she said, uh, uh, David's dead. And he said, yes, mom, David's dead. And then she would have glassy eyes, roll her eyes back, and just almost pass out. Her husband came home, or was at home, and uh, had the doctor to come. The doctor said, you need to put her in the hospital. Husband said, no, if I put her in the hospital, I won't, I won't ever get her again. So what her husband did, 
was sat down beside her and comforted her. He didn't lecture her. He didn't ask her a bunch of questions. And he comforted her and loved her for two or three days. And finally, she came out of it and was able to deal with her emotions then. But now if he'd have done what the doctor wanted to do, well, she might not have come out of it quite so well. But, you know, that's about what God did with Elijah when he was so depressed. He just kind of sat down beside him, had angels to wait on him, didn't lecture him, didn't tell him, you ought not to be depressed. He didn't say that. He just saw him through it. Just saw him through it. Now, how did God deal with Elijah's depression? How did he do that? Uh, the word deal is what you're looking for in number four. So let's look at what God did to bring him through this. First thing he did was send him to worship. <laughs> look at uh, verse 8, chapter 19. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in, in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb the Mount of God. Now, that must have been some more hamburger because he ran and went for 40 days and 40 nights on what he ate there at one time. So God sent him to Mount Horeb, and that was the place where the Mount of God, where God gave Moses the law. And that was where he wanted him to go to worship. Did you know that when you're depressed, the best place you can go is right here to this church or the church that some of you may attend somewhere else? Um, and the best thing you can do is not necessarily to be in the congregation and get your help from depression, but be in a Sunday school class. You can, you can tell a small group what the problem is a whole lot easier than you can stand up and tell the whole congregation. And you get to know each other in a Sunday school class. And as a result of it, then you can, uh, you can talk about your problems. And then the people will pray for you. This fellow that uh, Tommy was talking about, uh, that uh, the Lord answered his prayer today, for, and great, I'm thrilled about it. Uh, he would never have stood up here in front of the church and told the whole congregation. He would never have done that. But uh, he told Tom, and, and Tom, he told me that I saw him Sunday morning, and I shook hands with him, how are you doing? He said, not good. And uh, he said, uh, Tom will tell you about it. Now, we don't normally tell each other about what you have said to us unless you say it's all right. And so he didn't tell Tommy that, but he told me. And so I told Tommy that, and he said, okay. And he told me what it was. But you see, what we need is to worship together. And when we worship together and get to know each other, we can talk about our problems and people will join with us in prayer. And that's exactly what we did when we heard about this situation. 
And thank God it came out all right. Back in 1999, uh, Duke University made a study of 4,000 older people, older adults. And uh, out of that study, they found that very few people that are in church regularly are depressed. I don't know. I kind of like those odds, don't you? Uh, time alone with God in prayer and Bible study is a pow powerful antidepressant. Much better than a pill. Then uh, God had Elijah to tell him his problem. In verses 9 and 13, uh, he told him, said, uh, just tell me what the problem is. So uh, what's wrong? And uh, he asked him that in two places. In uh, verse 10, or verse 9, rather, and verse uh, 13. And uh, God was able to deal with his uh, false beliefs when he heard about it. In verse 13, God asked Elijah what, he, what he was going on. And in verse 14, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of, of hosts. He said, I love you, Lord. I've been jealous for you. And uh, we live in a nation that uh, the prophets of Baal run wild. And, and uh, now they're gone. But Jezebel's going to kill me. And I've been very, very patient with you uh, to help do your, what you want. Because the children of Israel have forsaken, forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Hidden in that statement somewhere, <laughs> Elijah's accusing God of not doing anything. He said, I've done it all. I'm left to do it all. And uh, so the Lord came back in verse 18. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So God didn't rebuke Elijah. He didn't rebuke him. He knew his problem was depression, and he didn't want to make it worse just by pointing out uh, what he had done. He didn't want to do that. So you can see what he had done in verses 15 through 17. And the Lord seems to say, well, you haven't seen anything yet. And so uh, in verses 17, uh, 15 through 17, and then uh, God gave Elijah something to do. Get busy, he said. Look at verses 15 and 16. And the Lord said unto him, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And uh, Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, uh, anoint as prophet in your room. In other words, uh, the kings that he's talking about here are not going to be around any longer, and you're not either, Elijah. 
you're not going to be around. He said, in your room, in your place. Now, he knew that he was going to take care of, uh, of Ahab. And you can read on in the first Kings and see how that happened. God killed him. And uh, also Jezebel. Jezebel didn't kill Elijah. She couldn't. Lord wouldn't let him, let her. And uh, so that's why the new king was needed. Jehu was needed because Ahab was going to die. You know, when depression, uh, when depressed, the best thing we can do is get busy helping somebody else. There was a man doing a lecture on mental health, and uh, he was Carl, Dr. Carl Menninger. And uh, somebody asked him, said, when somebody's depressed, what, what should they do? And everybody thought he'd say, run to a psychiatrist. He said, the best thing they can do is go across the tracks and find somebody in need and help them. That's the best thing we can do if we get depressed, is find somebody that is in need and then help them. I read about J.C. Penney. Back in the early 20s, he had 1,700 stores, and he was living on top of the world. Had everything that he could want. Everything was going good. 1929 is when the crash came. And um, when that crash came, it almost cost him his life. He was in heavy debt. Banks wanted their money. And the cash flow was not very good. And uh, so he worried so much that he couldn't sleep. And uh, his health deteriorated to the point that he checked himself into the hospital. And uh, he wrote his, uh, wrote his uh, last will and testament to his wife and, and uh, son. And uh, to his surprise, though, he woke up the next morning. And he was walking down the hall in the hospital. And he heard some singing. Heard song, a song that I undoubtedly had never heard before. And when he heard that singing, he went into where they were. And he said the Lord did something for him at that time that he had never experienced before. I think J.C. Penney was a Christian before then. But the article I read didn't say... And I didn't look it up any further, so I'm not sure, but I believe he was. Anyway, he um, came out of it, and uh, he began to do some things uh, that he knew he was supposed to. Uh, he started tithing, number one. And uh, he didn't have the money to tithe. But uh, I didn't either when we started. I didn't have it. And he, the Lord began to bless him like he couldn't have ever thought that he would. 
And uh, then his business grew and grew and grew until he had a lot more stores uh, at, the, at the last than he did in the beginning. And this is the song that he heard. Be not dismayed where air be tied. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day and all, or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. And he will take care of us as well. <laughs>